I was definitely flabbergasted going to some of the doctors and realizing that their prescription was a prescription. It was not get healthy or do this or do that or move or be active. It was, let's get you on drug A, B, C, or D. You're going to feel better. I think there's a lot of information out there that you can get for alternative methods of becoming healthy and not just masking what's, what's going on. This is Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast, and I am your host, Bet Lucas. I am a mom of six crazy kids. I work as a VP in a fast-paced industry, and I've been on a health journey. But what does living your big, bold life even mean? Living boldly is having the courage to finally listen and do what your heart has been trying to tell you all along. Maybe it's to take back your health, write the book, go for the job, run the race. And I'm here to help you listen to that voice and to remind you to be you boldly. The world needs you. Hello and welcome to Living Your Big Bold Life podcast. I am your host, Bette Lucas, and today with a lot of arm twisting, I was finally able to convince the man, my man, Spencer, to be on the podcast. (laughs) And my podcast studio was not built for two. So he is currently in the bedroom down the hall with the door shut. And I am currently recording my little podcast setup here. Hi, honey. Hi, Matt. Are you mad at me for making you do this? I'm mad at this studio for not having a comfortable chair. (laughs) I'll work on my in-person guest setup. Maybe my husband can handle that for me. (laughs) Catering didn't come either. (laughs) You're going to turn into like the artists that when they go to a venue to play and they have the list of requirements and drinks and food. And I always heard that that's actually one of the most fascinating things is to get the list. And I feel like Britney Spears or someone only wants one color of Skittles. What would be on your list if you, if you had a request list? Whatever's easy for me to prepare, probably. <laughs> I wanted to have Spencer on the show because he has been making a lot of, would say, strides or forward steps on his health journey after kind of a pretty scary incident last December. So I thought it would be really cool to have him on, share about what he's been doing, what has been working for him. And also prior to December, it wasn't like Spencer was super unhealthy. So I think this is a really good story for people to hear because maybe a reminder that we could all take some steps forward on our health journey even when maybe from all viewpoints, people would say you're decently healthy. So anyways, honey, will you share with us a little bit about your December incident? But I guess before we get started, how old are you? 50 years old. Prior to December, how would you have described your health? Moderate, probably. No aches, pains. No, I didn't feel unhealthy. Were you on any medication? No. 
like what activity level would you call yourself? Probably moderate to high. I mean, never wasn't working out a ton, but I never stopped moving. So I was always out doing something, moving around, yeah. kind of old yeah, man you, stuff, I guess. Yeah, you don't sit still very well. That's definitely like a gift you have for sure. Like you're always keeping busy. What would you say your diet was like prior to December? I would say it was pretty healthy, but how would you describe it? Yeah, fairly healthy. I mean, trying to eat whole foods and, you know, cooking dinner is not really never eating fast food. I mean, probably once a year and probably trying to be pretty conscious of about what I ate. Unfortunately, I love yogurt and cereal. So if cereal was around, I'd eat it like crazy. And but now I, I don't really eat too much yogurt anymore. Kind of moved away from that. But I yeah, I ate pretty, pretty well, drank lots of water and felt pretty good about myself. I mean, I, I certainly would never stop and get snack foods or anything like that. And if I did snack, it was always just tended to be pretty much almonds were my go-to. I always felt like you ate really well. And I think when you're alluding to yogurt being a weakness of yours, I think it's because you like the sweeter yogurts. Maybe that's why you're alluding to because yogurt's not bad. You know, yogurt can be really high protein, but it's probably because you like the sweeter profile and then having some granola. I would say that's why you feel like that was a little bit maybe your weakness. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, plain yogurt is not really tantalizing by any means. <laughs> lots of other sweet things inside of it. I kind of like the tart and bitterness of like a Greek yogurt that's unflavored, but I do throw in some peanut butter powder and it's delicious. So you're the peanut butter powder to my tart bitterness. <laughs> Thank you, honey. So prior to December, though, you had done some things that I felt were really helpful to you. Can you share about when you and I were first married and your heartburn and kind of what you figured out was the cause of that? Yeah, when we were first married, I was having terrible heartburn, pretty much, I would say, on a very consistent basis and, you know, couldn't really figure out what was happening. So I was gobbling Tums and Rolaids and all that and just trying to mask what was happening. And, and other times just powering through. And I talked to your father and he had mentioned that, hey, you know, he's going gluten-free because he's got a gluten intolerance. I said, well, that's kind of interesting. At that point, I was doing CrossFit and looked into it and I said, you know what, I'll give it a try. So I jumped into the paleo world for a little while and that all of a sudden my heartburn literally just disappeared. I mean, I couldn't give myself heartburn. You know, early on in our marriage, I could barely eat any spicy stuff. Now I can eat jalapenos and hot sauces and all that. And I mean, I can't remember the last time that I've had heartburn. So I was pretty strict on not eating any wheat and any wheat-based products for about, I'd say, nine years or so. And then, you know, out of not desperation, but out of need, you know, nothing else to eat, I decided to try it. And I had a, what, a sandwich or something like that. And I didn't get heartburn. I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty interesting. You know I mean? Cause usually a, a piece of bread would set me off and I would just get that, you know, like swallowing razor blades and it was horrible. And then, you know, I slowly, slowly guess I worked gluten back into my diet. I don't eat it probably, but once every couple weeks probably, but you know, I certainly can eat it now um, and not have the ill effects that I used to have. So that's pretty refreshing. Yeah, it was really cool to watch that because you were so miserable with your heartburn. And until I got pregnant with Emmy, I didn't understand really what heartburn was. And I remember having a few days of it and it was 
it was miserable. I was just like, gosh, you were dealing with that a lot. And then you made the tweak of going gluten-free for a while. And it was pretty amazing how it just, it literally did kind of go away almost immediately, which was just a little bit shocking, I think, to both of us. Yeah, it was definitely welcome, you know, and then I realized at that point, all the things, you know, I mean, you look at the gluten-free world and it's kind of jumped the shark now where you can get gluten-free everything. And I was never a proponent and we always tried gluten-free breads, right? And gluten-free breads, you might as well eat the cardboard box that it comes in because it tastes horrible unless you toast it and cover it with butter or something like that. So I pretty much just stayed gluten-free. I just wouldn't eat anything even fake baked goods and all that, I just stayed pretty much fully away from. And certainly, you know, my weakness is sweet stuff. I absolutely love it. I would eat it. If there's a box of cereal for the kids, I will eat 99% of it and leave a little bit for them. But yeah, it's been it's been pretty good for me now and just kind of being able to limit what I eat and how I eat it and, you know, not having the desire to really have bread very often at all. I've gotten very used to not eating it at this point but again you know i mean go to a restaurant and if they have sourdough bread i'm certainly gonna have a piece at this point that's delicious <laughs> i can't stop laughing every time i think of this cereal because you have to share the cocoa puff cereal story you have to share it <laughs> i can't remember what kid it was but i'm sound asleep and you know at that point i probably throughout my life but you know starting Right after we got married, probably not coincidentally, but uh, I wasn't sleeping really well and I was just sound asleep and you came into the room and you were fully panicked and you woke me up. Like, Spencer, where are the cocoa puffs? <laughs> oh my God, where are the cocoa puffs? And I'm like, God, I have no, I have no idea. Knowing that I ate them all. <laughs> and not knowing that you were going to have a binge cocoa puff day. And yeah, that was, I think I... Probably, that was probably my first time lying to you in marriage. And probably the last time, but you know, I (laughs) did not let on to it until I was forced to let you know that I had eaten all the Cocoa Puffs. And thankfully you didn't send me out to the store at whatever time, 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning, whatever time it was that you woke me up to ask about them. But I would like to pat myself on the back because I never did that. The middle of the night made you go and get anything. I never had like that pregnant story, but I definitely was really excited about those Cocoa Puffs and I was convinced that you had just put them away somewhere. It was a brand new box and <laughs> and no, you just you just ate the whole box of Cocoa Puffs. I love that story. And I was pregnant with Elliot. That was, Elliot was my my Cocoa Puffs, I guess, phase or my cereal phase pregnancy. But I think you hit on something prior to that that I think is really important. If someone's listening and they have really bad heartburn or they've been thinking about going gluten-free, that you did it right in my mind where you didn't just go gluten-free and then just go to the grocery store and buy all the crap that just has gluten-free slapped on the label. That's a mistake I see a lot. What you did is you removed kind of gluten-based products and then just went more whole food eating and didn't navigate to, you know, the snacks. Because like you and I know, technically, like Lay's potato chips are gluten-free. That doesn't mean we should all go, when we go gluten-free, eat a bunch of Lay's potato chips. Allegedly, Snickers bars and haagen are as well. <laughs> Allegedly, right? Allegedly. Oh, and Corona, right? Doesn't, doesn't Corona have like such a minuscule amount of gluten? 
Yeah, Corona Ultra or whatever. I think all those light beers do. But yep, I guess if you want to have something, you could probably justify that it's gluten free. Just deal with the issues later if they even have them. But you know, I definitely quit drinking beer at that point in time too. And moving up to you know, I was living in Bend where there's a brewery every single block, and drank lots of beer. And then moved up here, and there was lots of breweries and lots of beer. And beer was fun to drink back then. And I thought like, oh geez, I'm gonna have to stop drinking beer. And that was very easy. But unfortunately, I probably slipped into a little bit more of the gin and tonic phase of my life at that point and which was fine but it was definitely you know beers got a little bit more social and a little bit less committed than drinking gin and tonics right right no that makes sense to me were you when you first went gluten-free and you thought about the fact that you'd have to give up beer did that like bum you out or what was your kind of thoughts around that yeah I think it's time it was just I felt so good without heartburn that I didn't really care because, I mean, it was it was painful. I remember late nights drinking beer with buddies and just literally, like, swallowing a cup of, you know, on-fire razor blades and just going, okay, get this down and it's going to feel better. It's going to feel better. And, you know, not ever feeling better, but, you know, just kind of wanting to be in that zone. And, and then, you know, when I stopped, it didn't have it. And, like, again, I couldn't really induce myself to get it no matter what I ate. I mean, at that point, I wasn't eating gluten, but, you know, any other spicy foods or anything like that. So... I was just happier in a pig and slop, you know, to be able to not have that pain every single day. Yeah, that's that makes sense to me. So the other like significant change I feel like you made in the last few years, and correct me if you think there was another, was coffee. I feel like you made some adjustments there due to trying to figure out sometimes your poor sleeping. Like you always kind of would have moments where you didn't sleep well. So yeah, I don't know what precipitated that, but it was just one of those days I was drinking coffee, you know, and I'd, I'd fill up my Yeti coffee mug twice a day and drink coffee. And it was just, you know, very habitual. And I got to one point where I was drinking it and I'm like, why am I drinking this stuff? And then, you know, laying in bed at night and I'd fall asleep at whatever time, 10 o'clock, and then wake up at 1030 and just, you know, be buzzing around the house and just not being able to sleep and up till three or four in the morning. And then I could finally fall asleep and I'd just be wiped out in the morning. And then I'd jump back into the coffee, right? And it was just this horrible, horrible circular mess that I was in. And just, I, I kind of figured out at some point, I'm like, I really, I mean, I, I like the smell of coffee, but the taste of coffee and all that and the effects of coffee, I didn't, I never really noticed a noticeable effect. If I had a cup of coffee, like, wow, I feel ready to go now, you know? So I just decided like, I'm going to try to stop drinking coffee and see what happens. And, you know, I stopped drinking coffee uh, almost two years ago and it was great. You know, I thought I was going to have to like go get into all these different kinds of herbal teas and whatnot. And I think I might've tried that for a couple of days and just realized that I didn't really need the habitual part of it. And I didn't need the caffeinated part of it and just kind of ditch it all together. And I mean, there's no desire to go back at all. Quite honestly, I feel great. And I'm sleeping a heck of a lot better than I, than I was for the last 10 years. And the proof's in the pudding for me. I mean, if you do something and it feels good and it works, then all the things that you think you're missing out on, you can instantly justify going, I don't want them anymore because I feel a hell of a lot better. Yeah, that's so true. And I would say, you know, you're always busy. You like to be moving a lot. I don't know if anxious is the right word, but you you feel like stress and you internalize it a lot. And I think that's why, you, you know, moving is good for you because it kind of lets you work through that in your mind. But I think especially for someone like that, 
who probably struggles with sleep from time to time, reducing caffeine or eliminating it can be really powerful. And I think people kind of forget that, especially you weren't drinking coffee throughout the day. And I think that's the point that I really want to highlight. It wasn't like you were drinking coffee through lunchtime or even having an afternoon cup of coffee. I never once saw you have an afternoon cup of coffee. You have your like two large cups in the morning. Yeah, it was pretty much a, a cutoff time. Just it didn't, not that it ever tasted really good. And, and when coffee tasted good, it was just, I was drinking the creamer, right? I remember being on a flight Southwest probably 15 or 18 years ago, probably more than that at this point. I can't remember time that well. But, you know, get on the plane and the guy's going down. He's like, oh, would you like coffee? And I go, yeah, it'd be great. And he goes, would you like cream and sugar? And I go, yep, that's great. And he goes, so you don't really like the taste of coffee? And I go, ah, no, I guess guess I don't. I think for me now, a coffee nip, those little candies, is probably as far coffee as I'd ever go again. Just no desire to drink it. It's good. I've learned to love black coffee, but you and I definitely, like our routine was half and half or heavy whipping cream in our coffee every morning. That was our thing. And we'd have it every day and we'd have a few cups. I like taking baby steps and going, you know, I still drink coffee and I love coffee and I even love decaf coffee. But So many people are walking around sipping on, you know, what we've called on here before. I think my friend Jen calls it like a liquid milkshake. You know, they're just, well, I guess all milkshakes are liquid, but a coffee milkshake. They think they're drinking coffee, but it's really a milkshake. I think a lot of people should really consider either what's in their coffee and trying to take baby steps to get it out, or if they are having troubles with sleep or anxiousness or issues around their thyroid or other things, you know, giving up coffee can be a really powerful tool. And I noticed immediately when you gave it up, you started sleeping better. And we just never would have correlated the two because like I said, it wasn't like you were drinking caffeine late in the day. No, no, never, certainly never afternoon, right? I mean, I used to get mad when you'd want to go, and you still do, you want to go to Starbucks at three o'clock in the afternoon. That blows me away. I just can't even imagine if I drank coffee at that point in time, even, you know, in my coffee drinking days, I wouldn't sleep at all. It's I'm glad that I'm done with it. And it's just another thing I don't have to deal with. Another thing not to think about in the morning when I get up, I don't have to brew coffee except for my wife and streamline the whole process for me. It is really sweet that you do that every morning. I do like my coffee delivery, even though you don't like coffee anymore. <laughs> I like mine still. And yes, I still will go and get a coffee at like three. And I'm probably going to get one today because I'm fasting all day today. I'm doing a longer fast. And I'll go like around that time and I'll get a decaf Americano. And it feels like a treat on the days that I'm fasting. So it helps me kind of push on through. So I thought it would be really helpful to kind of do two parts to this story because I feel like there was the pre-December incident and the post-December incident, and you've made even more health strides since then. Now we kind of talked about a few choices you made, like you gave up gluten for a while. Now you've been able to reintroduce it. You just don't eat a lot of it. And coffee, you kind of just got rid of it. And I think the reason you got rid of it is I told you I wanted you to do do the black coffee challenge with me. And you're like, well, if I have to drink it black, I'll just give it up. (laughs) 
And you just did. You were just so funny. Anyways, you're like the person who smokes two packs a day and quit cold turkey the next day. It says a lot about you, honey. Anyways, I couldn't do it. Do you want to tell everybody kind of what happened in December and walk us through that incident? Spencer, you know, prior to this would not have been labeled as overweight. His labs would have been considered good. Besides the fact that he would have time to time struggle with his sleep, he wasn't on any medication. He always had a pretty intense job and we have always had a big family with a lot going on. So I would say everyone would look at Spencer and say, yeah, that guy's that guy's really healthy. He's very active. Spencer will never brag about himself, but like literally on the weekends, he does not sit still. He's always doing something, fixing something, cooking something. And we do a really good job in this house of breaking stuff. And he's always helping with that. We also live on 10 acres and he manages it all himself. It's highly impressive. So anyways, Spencer, what happened in December? I was waking up to go to a meeting in Dallas and woke up at, I don't know, 4.30 or whatever time it was and went to start getting ready and walked into my closet. Got to my closet. All of a sudden, my legs started shaking and I was like, wow, what's that? And, you know, I felt kind of weak and I just, you know, leaned up against the the doorway and all of a sudden, you know, my legs just started shaking a little bit more and I'm like, I've never felt that before. And I just had this thought, I go, I'm going to fall down. And next thing you know, I mean, I, I started falling. I couldn't control myself. I fell down and hit the ground and was like, whoa, what in the heck just happened? You know, that was really bizarre. And I gave myself a second, stood up, walked, and my, my leg was still a little bit numb or tingly. And wow, that was pretty bizarre. You were still sleeping. I go, well, you know what? That I'm just going to brush this off and get my stuff packed and, you know, go splash water on my face and brush my teeth. And pretend like nothing happened, right? So I did that, got my bag packed, went downstairs, started getting my water bottle and stuff ready to get in the car and go. And I went out to the car and started to get in the car and I go, you know, I should probably go tell Bet what happened. So I walked back upstairs and told you, I said, hey, you know what? I just fell down and you popped up and said, well, maybe it's low blood sugar. So we went down and I ate. And at that point in time, I was feeling pretty good. I mean, I, I never felt bad. I didn't feel sick. I just probably felt more worried. I ate and I think I did calm my nerves a little bit. I decided at that point, I said, you know, I either got to go or not go. And, you know, I wanted to be a pleaser and I wanted to go to work and because it was my first meeting with the whole team. And I said, all right, well, I'm going to go. So I jumped out into the car and, you know, I had a little bit of problems getting the key into the ignition because my coordination was still off on my right side. I got the key in, started the car, started driving down the driveway. And I was like, man, am I doing the right thing? Is this what I should be doing? Should I be going? And I I drove and I just kept, you know, ruminating over this, like, man, is this the right decision? I drove up to the top of the hill. And at that point, I just, I pulled over into a parking lot and I was like, you know, I took the key out and I go, let me see if I can do that again. And I tried to put the key back in and it was still a little bit shaky and wobbly. And I was like, I better call my boss. So I called my boss and, you know, Jake said, Hey, don't worry about it. Take care of yourself and figure out what's wrong. And I called you and I came home. And at that point you were dressed, ready to go. And you brought me to the hospital and we showed up and, you know, I was kind of expecting when we, I showed up kind of doing the normal emergency room thing that they would put you off for a couple hours and you'd just be sitting in the waiting room. And we told them that, Hey, you know what? I, I fell down and 
geez, what was it? Three minutes later, they ran me in the back and put me on the EKG and started doing all that. And then, you know, the doctor came and visited me and ordered up the MRI and the CAT scan and uh, had the echocardiogram the, the following day. And it was just kind of this whirlwind, like, wow, you know what, this is, this is bizarre. I'm one of those guys now that's had a health issue. And I never really thought I would, right? And I think that it made me a little bit more compassionate for people that do, because you always hear about people that have these issues and you go, well, that hasn't affected me. You know, I think I'm doing everything right. Obviously, it can affect anyone at any time. So I think the comment that I heard most in there was that you don't fit the mold for somebody having a stroke, you know, and that made me feel better for some reason. I'm not sure why, you know, but it also kind of made me start worrying like, well, if I'm not the guy that fits the mold for the stroke, then why did I have a stroke? Right. And then, so they found on the uh, echocardiogram that I have the, the PFO, which is the hole in your heart that is there when your heart is developing and it seals up on most people and didn't seal up on me. And, you know, whether or not that was the cause of the, the stroke is still yet to be determined. But, you know, I think I realized after that, and I went to a metabolic doc shortly after that and talked to him and, you know, in my metabolic age at that point, he ran all the tests and, you know, my metabolic age was like 34 years old. And he goes, I don't understand why you had a stroke. Kept trying to dive into it and went to a naturopath. She kind of asked more about my history. You know, I mean, do you stress out a lot? I, I, I tend to stress out about stupid things, refrigerator food, not being put back in the refrigerator and stuff like that. And she kind of gave me some ways to work on stress relief and like how, how not to focus on it. And also, you know, gave me this adaptocrine, which basically is, is an anti-anxiety type of herbal supplement. And I took that and, you know, I mean, I think since then I've really realized that whether or not it was something metabolically that triggered it or if it was stress, I mean, I, I tend to believe now that it was stress related because prior, the week prior, I was on the road all week, come home, and then I'm trying to think if that was the week that Flynn was starting to die, and I spent the, mm -hmm. it was pretty much the uh, the whole day on Friday at the emergency room, and trying to say it was freezing cold, trying to stay warm, but trying to be frugal me and not waste gas. You know, I ended up getting a little too close to the fire and burning myself, and the car ran out of battery, so I couldn't get it started, and that, you know, flipped me over, and you know, I was just stressing out about everything and it was just kind of nonstop there for a while. And I look back at that time and I'm like, the things that I stress out about, I one I shouldn't have stressed out about. And I know I, I still stress out about some things and I'm working on that. But you realize after something like that happens, and I don't know, not before, because you just think of stress as just something that you deal with. But I've realized now that, I mean, stress is deadly, kills a lot of people. If you can manage it, you need to start to learn how to. And I wish I learned that earlier. I wish I just didn't learn the tough growing up, you know, like, oh, just, you know, tough through. Don't worry about it. You know, just stress is normal. Stress is not normal. It's how you handle situations. When you don't handle them correctly, you stress out about them and you internalize that and it wreaks havoc on your cardiovascular system. Yeah, I think that's really good to highlight because I think a lot of people just think that you know, stress is inevitable and it is what it is. And it's like, yeah, I mean, we all are going to deal with stressful situations. And yet so much of how it affects our health is how we respond to it. 
we're all going to be put in these tough situations. And looking back, that week prior was just insanely stressful. You know, you had started a new job. You had been traveling back to back. That week was an especially long week for you. And then you come back and our dog was dying and you ended up spending eight or nine hours with her at the emergency And I look back too, I'm like, gosh, we could have told them that we lived, you know, so many minutes away and yeah, they didn't want you to leave. I mean, you you just think, oh, we could have done that or whatever. The coolest thing about your process, you know, there was a few weeks where you seemed down about it, rightfully so. But then it was kind of like, no, I'm going to do something about this the best that I can. Like I'm going to work on my stress reduction and I'm going to know this about myself because I, I want to be here for my family. You know, I want to be here for my family. You should be proud of yourself how you've responded. Yeah, I think it just puts it all into perspective, right? Because you never, you know you're going to die at some point, but you never really are faced with, faced with it. I certainly never was. Not that I knew of anyway. And when that happens, you, one, you want to have a reason for it, right? You want like, well, it happened because of A, B, C, or D. But when A, B, C, or D don't happen, there's kind of just this feeling of like, wow, I mean, what do I do? You know, and that's where the helplessness came in. It's like, I don't know what to do. I can improve my health. Is that going to do it? Hopefully, but not definitely, you know, but there, there are no guarantees in life. And I think that that point, that's the one thing that I had control over was changing some of the things that I did in my life, probably trying to get more routine in my life. When I'm working at 7.30 or 8 in the morning, I'd wake up at 7.15 and, you know, scramble and do all that. And I realized that that just puts undue stress on me when I have a schedule that I can adhere to in the morning. It's taken a lot of that stress in the morning off of me and probably redirected my productivity quite a bit. Yeah, I think that it definitely has. And I think it makes sense that someone like you deals well with routine and predictability and having that in the areas you can, in the areas you can control, I think is probably really helpful for you, especially on like a stress reduction. Now what I want to do is I want to save kind of part two of this interview for the following episode. And on that one, we're going to tackle more about additional kind of things you've been doing around alcohol, working out, sleep that might also be really helpful for people listening to hear. So as we come to a close on part one of this interview, what would you say your advice is maybe to someone who is dealing with a similar situation or someone who has found themselves dealing with heartburn or dealing with sleep issues or dealing with a recent stroke and thinking they were super healthy? Do you have any advice you'd like to share? Don't be stubborn and don't think that what you've been doing is wrong necessarily. How I felt better is now putting myself more into control where I know what I'm going to do every day. I know what I'm going to eat every day. I know what my routine is. And I think also is the the fact that you got to educate yourself because I was definitely flabbergasted going to some of the doctors and realizing that their prescription was a prescription. It was not, you know, hey, get healthy or do this or do that or move or be active. It was, let's get you on drug A, B, C, or D. You're going to feel better. I think there's a lot of information out there that you can get for 
alternative methods of becoming healthy and not just masking what's what's going on. I definitely have learned a lot as to don't put all of your eggs in one basket and take advice from everywhere. You know, I mean, not, not saying that medical doctors don't know what they're talking about. They certainly do. But there's a balance that you can get with it metabolic docs and naturopaths and MDs and kind of taking all that into consideration and figuring out what the best path is for you. I think that's such good advice because I think too many will go to, they'll go to a naturopath, they'll go to a doctor, but they'll only go to one, right? And whatever that person says, they take as Bible. And we then kind of say, well, it's not my fault. This is what they said. And we don't take control and ownership of our own health. Because if we're not our own advocate and we're not educating ourselves, no one's going to do it for us. Like you said, the prescription was a prescription, right? It was instead of kind of looking at root causes and areas you could improve, they kind of looked at you and said, well, you're healthy enough. You're fine. And if you want to be healthier, here's some prescriptions to fix that. And instead of saying, no, I want to dive deeper. Like I want to ask some questions and around what I'm eating fasting, what I'm drinking and not drinking, my sleep, my stress, and really get to the root cause. And that's why I was so impressed with the naturopath you went to. It was like she was talking to you about those things. Like it wasn't about what meds were going to put you on. It was, hey, how are these things in your life and can we improve them? I agree. I think the other piece of advice or the thing that I learned and, you know, I mean, I feel pretty naive for having to say this, but, you know, you realize that there's good landscapers and bad landscapers and good construction workers and bad construction workers, good auto mechanics, and bad auto mechanics, but you never figure there's good doctors and bad doctors. You figure they're doctors, so they got to know what the hell they're doing. Right. And yeah. Um, my eyes were definitely open because you you see these guys, some of them just, you know what, this is their methodology and this has kept them from being in any kind of litigation or, you know, they're, they're covering their, their rear ends. And this is what they're going to give you is they're going to give you what's best for their longevity. Right. I mean, and I don't know, it was kind of hard to, I guess, really digest all that because, you know, I mean, again, being very naive, I, Barely ever saw a doctor that I seen once a year for my checkups, and that was it. And never went to the hospital, and never really had a couple stitches in my life. That was really my exposure to to the medical world. And you know, now I think that you really got to do your homework because nobody else is going to do it for you. You know, and thankfully I have you that does my homework for me. But <laughs> if you don't, then you just you might as well just pick out a doctor from the yellow pages, which that's like picking a general contractor out of the yellow pages you'd never do that you know right. so you got to know you got to know a little bit about their history and have people had success with them have they not had success with them you know because uh, you, you get one chance to do it right yeah it's so true and if the doctor isn't willing to look at root causes and do they even know about what a healthy diet is and do they even know about fasting or do they even know about different types of movement. You know, so many of my doctor friends will say, you know, I had three hours of nutrition. That's all. And so much of the nutrition advice out there is so wrong. And it's 
it's getting worse by the day, to be honest. I would like to say it's getting better, but it seems like the standard American diet is definitely the sad diet. And I think that's really good advice because you do have to be bold when it comes to kind of not just accepting everything you're told and not just assuming because someone is an expert or has gone through extensive schooling that their word is Bible. You need to continue to research and get multiple opinions and figure out what works best for you. If I had taken all the advice when I was released from the cardio unit, they gave me a list of what I should eat. The majority of it was General Mills cereal, heart healthy, honey nut Cheerios. And I would have no problem eating honey nut Cheerios the rest of my life because they're delicious. But I realized they're probably not the best thing to eat for you. But quite honestly, that was the diet that they were prescribing was, you know, eat Honey Nut Cheerios, right? And then every once in a while, I'll have some salmon or something like that. Kind of blew me away, the the list of foods that were approved by the Heart Association. And I'm like, wow, I mean, none of these really sound like they're too good for you from everything else I'm reading. But, you know, I mean, at that point, you're kind of scared. Like, I don't want to stray off this path because they're supposed to know what they're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where you definitely had to had to break that. And I think that's where, you know, scared or depressed or whatever you could say after that incident. Part of that was just this fact finding and, and realizing that, man, I don't know who to believe or what to believe. Because, you, you know, you hear all this other information about, you know, eating lots of protein and that that's more heart healthy. And then you look at the heart association and they're like, no, no, you need to eat just Cheerios and, you know, special K and you'll be fine. And trying to level set that in your mind, like, well, who's, who's right in this one, you know? I mean, and that's really kind of what I've changed my, my thought process on is, you know, what, what's healthy and what's not healthy. And, you know, not to say that I'm a hundred percent healthy eater, but I think I'm pretty, pretty darn good. I think also just blindly following what somebody tells you, you wouldn't do it in your work life. You wouldn't do it in your personal life. So don't do it in your medical life. Honey, I'm really grateful that you are sharing your story. I know this is not your comfort zone, but I do believe it'll be really helpful for people. And I love you. Love you too. On part two, I hope we can dive into how do you eat, what do you drink and not drink, and other lifestyle things that you've been doing, but to be continued, part two, what, what, maybe there'll be another Cocoa Puff story or something. (laughs) Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to write a review and push that subscribe button. I also hope you will come hang out with me on Instagram, Facebook, and my new website, betlucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you.